0: Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, your buddy Blender HD. You can find me there on Twitter. And this is the show, as you should know, that we go over yesterday's slate for a little bit. Take a little review ski of, uh, of what sharp players did yesterday, focusing primarily on DFS strategy There's a 15 game slate today 15 games all the teams all at once no split nothing no six o'clock game that's off the slate or whatever it's a 30 team slate which means uh which means whatever whatever the chalk pitchers are or the chalk hitters are right you got you got a lot of choices to choose from but uh, it's casual friday and you know what i do on casual friday pretty much the same way as i do on any of the other days of the week answer your question in the youtube chat I see you guys in there. Suki Singh, Don Montgomery, Brandon McNeil, Frederick Duke, Eric Johnson, Card Fan, Michael Dompier, Jeff Chambers, J10. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the dummy thumbs. Give me uh, apple juice. Keep, keep, it, keep it cold. Keep it cold. Still got the Kroger stuff. Still got the store brand apple juice. Gotta save up. Gotta save up for the brand name stuff. So hit those thumbs up buttons. If you're new here, hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live, uh, we, we, we got a special uh, showdown, NBA showdown show coming up at one o'clock Eastern live on the YouTube channel. That's with Chop and Andy Means going over there. I mean, there's one game tonight, so there you go. So what do you do during showdown, right? Be unique. If you're playing large field GPPs, just be crazy. Be nutso. Try to take down first place uniquely by yourself don't try to be duplicated at 1100 times so that's that's what i would suggest and then we got we got grinders live later today but uh yesterday yesterday uh pitching wasn't all that great i mean we got lynn and darvish yeah i mean the pitching choices seemed good but as long as you got around 40 points at pitcher on on DraftKings, you were fine and you could have gotten that in a multitude of ways right you didn't need darvish You didn't even need Lynn, really. I mean, he was the highest-scoring pitcher, but you didn't need him. Like, if you played Discolfani and Eliza Hernandez and you paid up at bats or whatever, and you got, what, 38, 39 points, you were fine also, right? I mean, you could have gotten there even with Tyler Anderson's 11, depending on the bats that you played. Casey Mize got 18.75 against a little bit of chalky uh, White Sox. Same for Justice Sheffield. He was less than 1% owned. So you could have gotten there multitude of different ways at pitcher yesterday uh, on both sides, I guess. But we see here, I mean, sharper players. I mean, the p- pitching is going to be condensed usually. We see more went over SB2 on and Tyler Anderson. I think it came in under projected owned. 15.6 on DraftKings. I think it was projected for like 20 to 25. Uh, I thought that was a deal, right? I mean, I played on, I played on FanDuel. I didn't play that much Anderson on FanDuel. because You almost don't need to, right? I think I had him in like four lineups. I played primarily Lennon-Darvish. Uh, a little bit of Wainwright on on FanDuel, but I mean, that didn't really get there either. Uh, but I don't think, P- pitching didn't really make the slate yesterday. It was really, it was really about, you know, getting, getting the, the truthfully, it's about getting the right one-offs, less so than the stack, right? Yesterday, uh, the Brewers were chalk. Uh, they had the highest team total, and they were pretty underpriced. So you have Yelich here, 21%, Wong, 17%, 17 Avi Garcia, 14%. Uh, then it looks like the Royals were number two. right? Because we have Kettle Marte up here, but I don't see where where the other, well, the Diamondbacks, I guess so, 12, 12 here, Ahmed 11, Escobar 11. So they were, they were, they were towards the top. Uh, but we got some Royals, Perez, Merrifield, I'm assuming Soler, uh, Dozier. Yeah. So that on, on, on DraftKings, that was, that was the, ch- I mean, it's very similar on FanDuel as well. And you could see many of the sharper players just went under on Milwaukee. Right. But it wasn't like super duper chalk. It was for an eight game slate having, you know, the highest team total team, not being much more than 20% owned, no hitter being more than 20% owned. It's not like overwhelmingly chalky. When you get down into the single digits pretty quickly here. you see most sharper players, you know. If there's gonna if there's gonna be chalk bats, they're gonna be under on them for the most part. For the most part. You can see here, JP Crawford at shortstop. See, I yesterday, my top, my top stacks in exposure on FanDuel was Seattle, Arizona, and who else? Who else did I? And Kansas City. And a little bit of a Milwaukee. I still play, I still play, you know, some of the chalk. It was primarily Seattle. Seattle and Arizona. Arizona was still, it was a little more owned than I thought on, on FanDuel. Kansas City was a little bit more owned than I thought on FanDuel also. Seattle wasn't. I knew that. But going through here, we could see that that our own I, I know I, I see I see him in the chat every so often. Uh, Hod Lawrence came in second on Fanduel. Look at this! Look at this payout structure. This is ridiculous. This is worse than worse than Fanduel's yesterday. Fifty thousand a first, fifteen thousand a second, five thousand a third, fourth two thousand, fifth one thousand. Look at that difference, and look at the difference in points between fifth and third is is less than a point. That's a difference of what? $4,500. <laughs> right? And then obviously, well, first almost seemed to, to deserve it. Look at the gap, 19-point gap. Okay, you deserve the 50000 But Hog Lawrence here had uh, five-man Seattle, two Milwaukee, the two home runs for Milwaukee, and uh, Salvador Perez's double dong. And there you go. And obviously, Fraley, I mean, he was kind of the key. You didn't need Walton. You didn't need anyone at second base. But there you go. Not that, not that complicated. 5-2-1, right? Darvish, Lynn, you're done, right? Take a look at like e j 300 underneath. Here's a five-man San Francisco stack. Darvish, Lynn. You got Perez's double dong, Donaldson's double dong, and Abby's home run. Like to me, I don't think any specific stack, like I think you could have won with a multiple stacks it just mattered. Did you have Perez? Did you get Donaldson? Did you get those types of guys? We take a, I mean, we took a look at the winning lineup. I mean, essentially it's Donaldson, Brian Reynolds, Fraley. I mean, this is kind of a mess of a lineup, not a lineup I would have built or many people would have built. Cause it just it's kind of just like a bunch of a three, three man, Arizona, two Pittsburgh. And just, we throw people in there, I guess. I mean, you could, you could, you got there. So that that's all you needed. Take a look at Forsaken's top lineup. Darvish the five-man Arizona. So you got the Marte, you got Ahmed. Roas is zero, but you didn't, second base, didn't know, did anyone get there at second base? Carson Kelly's home run. And then you got Josh Donaldson, one off. Winker, home run, one off. Yelich, home run, one off. So Really, yesterday was more of a slate of, of the one-offs. You, you could have gotten there with, I mean, we go just through, like Hoglar and Seattle stack. San Francisco stack. Here's uh, kind of it's uh, it's three three. It's uh, okay. That's kind of a mess. Look at this, and this is a uh, that's kind of a mess also. Crafty lefty, Seattle stack. Porky seventy eight is a mat- typically these these one these single bullets are just like I'm just going to jam into a bunch of people. Well, this is kind of a three three. Okay, something something there, right? Get the same uh, same thing, same thing. A couple of times It's like the same lineup, but three different people. It's a little shady, I guess. <laughs> three different usernames, same exact lineup, one entry. Huh. Uh, Just a Joe, whatever. Here's a here's Minnesota four man, with two Seattle two. So it's a four two two. Okay. Maswar over here, Seattle five man. Fire dog. Minnesota five man, Osimo. Osimo who's I guess he's running non non correlated lineups. He's been he's been experimenting with some stuff. So he has two Arizona. He just a yeah, just a mess. But if you see if you if you if you take a look at his uh, his lineups, like he's still playing stat. I mean he still has plenty of lineups that are stacks, but he, he plays Sometimes some of these lineups where it's just like, I'm just trying to get as many home runs as possible. I'm not sure if that's, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's, that's optimal. That's game theory optimal. I know he's been experimenting with that type of stuff. Uh, Seattle, Seattle five man here, RBX Giants five man. So you could have gotten there with a couple of stacks. Just a matter of, do you, do you have one of the double, do you have a double dong somewhere? Do you have Perez? Do you have Donaldson? Do you have enough home runs? Do you have Yelich and Garcia? Do you have, you know, whatever. Do you have Carson Kelly catcher? If not Perez. And at least, and do you have two pitchers that put up close to 40 points? You could have gotten there. That's why I take a look. I look at like, okay, I was high on Seattle. So I'm looking for the Seattle guys. Kyle Seager. But look, I, I pulled up what? one two three four five six seven eight nine ten 10, whatever. Sharp players. Right, I came in towards the top or whatever. Over, over on Seattle, JP Crawford, over. Tyler O'Neill, which I had a ton of, over. Let's see. Mitch Hanniger, right. So over, right, nine percent owned and pretty much a lot of, lot of, lot of Seattle. I also had a bunch of Pittsburgh with Polanco. Okay, so we've got a bunch of that. Look through down, look down here, right? Kellanick, Starling Marte with the Mariners. Well, it looks like ending played a bunch of Mar- uh, much of Marlins. Marlins would have been a much better play if Tyler Anderson was more owned. If he was owned as projected, they would, they would have, they would have projected, they would have been better. But this is what I look for. This is what I do in the morning. This is what you should be doing in the morning. Look through results DB. Download some CSVs if you want. You do it yourself. Throw it in Excel. Do whatever you want with it. Just seeing did, did how did sharper players build their lineups? Right, you could look for individual lineups. So I just I just looked through this and I go okay. When this is DraftKings, so I mean I played on Fanduel last night, so this doesn't necessarily help me specifically. If you're playing on DraftKings, it definitely does. Looking through the YouTube chat, it's Casual Friday. Post whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Not whatever you want, whatever you want. Devin, Devin's in the chat censoring stuff out. So not necessarily whatever you want. Lucas Yunetsko asks, starting with a small role like 400 bucks, is it worth it to try to play cash games or just play tournaments? I wouldn't even play cash games at all with that small amount of money. It's going to take you forever to build. You got to get a minimum wage job. That would be more, that would be more beneficial time and resources wise, and plus four hundred dollars is not really a bankroll. So if you lose the four hundred dollars, you never play DFS ever again. No, you're gonna put more money in. So typically, people that play DFS aren't playing with their like, like oh if I don't if, if if this goes away, I can't pay my rent. You know, they're playing with disposable enough income. Uh, J ten asks blender my cash lineup pretty chalky except for two positions would have cashed in second place on a single entry, 121 contest. Any merit in playing your cash lineup in single entries? Uh, You could throw it in if you, if you want, but for the most part, yes. Yesterday, yesterday, if cash lineups did better than GPP lineups. I mean the chalk got there, right? If you played Yelich, if you played Garcia, if you played Sal Perez, if you played Josh Donaldson, which is, They were chalky in in most contests. Darvish-Lynn combination. What I mean, yeah, you got there on this specific slate, but most slates it's not going to be that way. I throw my cash lineup in some smaller, some smaller entry small field GPPs as a portion because I'm playing. If I'm playing eight hundred dollars worth of volume on a specific site, yeah, maybe thirty bucks of it is in, you know. I put it like, not even, not even 30 bucks, 20 bucks. I put it in a $5 single entry or something, smaller, like 300 people, like that type of stuff. Or you put it in like a quintuple up or a booster. And you throw it in just in case, you know, it, it gets up there, right? But only a small portion of it. It's like a little bonus. Out of the $800 of, of cash volume, I mean, like 700 of it is in head-to-heads and double-ups and 50-50s. The, the last hundred is like, Trips so fifty dollars in triple ups, right? Twenty five dollars in quintuple ups, you know. Five dollar booster and like whatever. Twenty dollars in in the, the home plate, whatever. Got three max contests, and there you go. Get a little boost if if your uncorrelated lineup. I'm more likely to throw it into a single entry GPP if my catch lineup is more correlated. If it ends up being that, you know, like obviously one team is underpriced or something like that, and I'm playing a lineup on DraftKings, that's 4-3-1 or 5-2-1 or 5-something. There's some type of stack in there. Okay, then then, then, then that's a lineup that has a correlated ceiling. Same for FanDuel, right? If I end up with four guys from the same team or something in my cash lineup, okay, then then, then I'm more likely. It's still a chalk-ass lineup that has no leverage. A little limited leverage, but whatever. And also other people, if you're playing like uh, projected optimals, I mean, a lot of times you're tied anyway, right? So it's negative EV to begin with, right? Oh, yes, you came in first, tied with 17 other people. Then what was the point of that? It's not something I would prioritize. Let's see. Jacob Calloway says Osimo awesome, is using correlation coefficient to build stacks instead of using the blunt stacks tool, very similar to Whistles this year. Now Whistles still stacks though, primarily. But yes, I know, I know, I know, I know exactly what I know what he's doing. He's not taking. He's, he's using correlation coefficient as an as as a variable in his lineup construction, as as a whole of the whole lineup, versus the projection and. Sometimes it's two people, three people. Like it's not, you're not forcing in stacks. You're just going by a strict correlation coefficient. Like, like I need to get at least this much correlation versus projection. And then whatever it is, it is. So sometimes it'll be, it could be three, two, one, 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 one. It could be what it could be whatever. He's experimenting with that. Whistles goes, whoa, stacks more than that. So whatever, whatever his. His uh, his formula, whatever whatever he's doing for correlation coefficients, you know, measuring correlation of of a single lineup, using obviously the difference between the batters, uh, he has a much higher threshold. Uh, David Evans, uh, guys, I'm new to MLB DFS. I usually play NBA, NFL, and NASCAR. Any advice or good rule of thumb for a new guy? Uh, to listen to the show and watch the show every day. I mean that's, that's the best best way I could put it. If you're playing GPPs, stack, aim for fur. I mean it's a DFS is the same regardless of sport. So well, the good rule of thumb is to play DFS well. Let's see what else in the chat. Eric Johnson, hey Blender, how's that Fanville treating you lately? Do you play in DK as well? Yeah, I play. I play. Cash on DK. I typically only play GPPs on one site on a specific day. It's hard to play on two sites at once with 100 plus lineups. DK's main GPP is $18 entry. Okay, so for me to play 100 lineups, that's $1,800. The payout structure is a little bit better, but not much better than FanDuel's. Like Fan FanDuel sucks. DK sucks, but just slightly less. Yesterday was horrible. You have 50, 15, 10. But that's that was horrible. But normally it's like 50, 25, 15, 10. I mean, it's still, it's still it's still ridiculous. But on FanDuel, their main GPP is is a larger contest, but a, a lower entry fee. So it's $5.55 an entry. So I could play 150 entries for 832.50, right? Versus playing, if I was to play $832 worth of volume on GPP entries on DraftKings, that would be 46 lineups, which I could do, which that's what I would do. I would be playing 50 lineups. I would play 50 or 60 lineups on DraftKings versus playing 150 on FanDuel. Yes, and yes, it's a smaller field. So the the large field is still small, you know, 18,000 entries instead of like 28,000, whatever it is. And obviously, a smaller, you know, FanDuel—it's like twenty-five or thirty k to first. DraftKings—it's fifty k to first. But I care more about—I'm going to come in the top ten. I'm just aiming for the top ten. Whatever happens, happens. So I choose to, on 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 the normal slates where it's an, where it looks like that on DraftKings. I just I play on FanDuel. But then DraftKings also has sometimes it goes down to twelve dollars or eight dollars, right? Sometimes the payout is flatter. I don't mind eighteen bucks an entry if if the payout structure at the top is flatter. So then I'll play on DraftKings that day. If en- if anything, I, I I'll play DraftKings more for the single entry and three max type of contests. Like I think they're they're better than the FanDuel ones. From a from a payout structure, but like the one twenty one, the single entry battery, whatever they call it, like that's a flatter payout structure. Or even like the sixty six dollar multi entry. It flatter. The $100 single entry, the, the single entry stuff is, is I, I like the payout structures on DraftKings better. So if anything, I'll play You know, MME, 150 entries on FanDuel, and then build like three single entry, you know, GBP lineups on DraftKings. Do something like that. That's primarily because of risk aversion because of the payout structure. Uh, let's see. Doug Montgomery, such a huge slate. I play mostly FanDuel, single entries and three to 100. Is 4-4 the way to go with huge slates such as this? How does the slate need to be the start go for? Okay, whatever this question is, you're not not thinking of DFS properly, okay? Every lineup is independent, okay? Okay, someone here is new, right? They wanted tips or whatever. You have to stop thinking of these types of questions. Any question that that has an exact answer is a is a it's a, a bad question. A 4-4 with let's say on today's slate, I'm making this up, okay? I have not looked at the slate, I'm just pulling teams out, just to show you an example. Okay. Let's go to the starting lineups page. Just whatever. Let's pick two teams. Doesn't matter what they are: the twins and the Rockies. Okay. Build a 4-4 lineup with the Twins and the Rockies. Build a 4-3-1 lineup with the Twins and the Rockies. Build a 4-2-2 lineup with the Twins and the Rockies. Build a 3-3-1-1 lineup with the Twins and the Rockies. Build a 3-2-1. Keep on going. You build whatever constructions you want. The ownership and the projection of those lineups and obviously the correlation effects of each lineup will be different, okay? So you have to treat them independently of one another. So while a 4-4 may make more sense in one way, it may not make sense in another way. There may be a a better 4-2-2 lineup you could play than a 4-4 lineup you could play, right? Depends on what picture is up there. So you can't think in terms of, well, no, this is the construction and I just have to fit everything within there. I'm going to play 4-3-1 and then play this guy as a one-off. It's like, well, have you thought about playing just not a four-man stack of that team? How about a 3 what is that was that owners? instead of playing the fourth guy in the stack instead of playing Starlin Castro at second base in your national stack you're 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 playing a high price you're playing Jose Altuve or whatever and that makes that makes the lineup project better and Altuve is low owned but you lose the correlation of yeah but you you lost the correlation between the other three guys in your lineup but you raised your projection and you lowered your ownership. So yes, the correlation is less, but you made that up with projection and leverage. Remember, there are three levers to DFS. Projection, lever one, correlation, lever two. And if I had a third hand, be leverage, ownership. Correlation is when one thing happens, another thing happens. It increases the variance of your lineup. And projection is, you know, the median, whatever, whatever, you know, all the variables that goes into the sport. Then you're like, okay, if we played this slate out a million times, this is what, these are the range of outcomes that would happen. So you want higher versions of the obviously better hitters at lower prices. So if you go high uh, in cash games, you're pretty much going, you're taking the projection lever and you're just jamming it, you're just like I don't care about correlation, can't about let nothing, just give me the top projected line. Right? One of the top projected differences of point something points probably doesn't matter that much. Give me the top, you know, I don't care about anything else. So you don't have to come in first in double ups, right? You're just trying to get over the line. And then once you get into progressive payout tournaments, then you're looking to increase your variance. You're looking to get up there. How do I get the first place? Well, you can't just go all projection because then you're going to be playing the chalkiest lineup probably possible so you're not going to get any correlation and any leverage so it's like okay now i have to start lowering my projection and get and gaining correlation but now i have no and then you're playing the chalk stuff so now you have no leverage so it's like well i'm going to raise my leverage lever right and as you raise the correlation and leverage your projection is going to start getting a little bit lower in, in a perfect world you'd love to get more leverage and play just a different guy with it and have the same projection. Typically, the field isn't that dumb, right? Oh, I'm going to play a higher projected guy that's lower owned. I mean, sometimes I guess you can find, try to find those situations. So when you take a look at a lineup, when you're structuring it, like you're talking about 4-4, 4-3, those are all all part of the correlation lever, right? They're just notches on the lever, right? They have nothing to do with projection or leverage. You're just not, what type of correlation? More, 4-4 would obviously be way more correlation than you know, four three one, then on five we're talking about Fanduel. Then four two two, right? Then four two one one, right? You know, we keep on going down. But let's say you go down to this level of correlation, but you're getting way more projection and leverage, even though you're not as correlated. That could be equal to a four four lineup that has less leverage and less p- projection, because you've got maximum correlation. So you can't think in terms of, well, on this size slate, you have to play th- this type of, and that's it. That's the best. If you play anything other than four, four, you're stupid. Like, no, lineups are made independently of one another. they they all have the, all, the, those three different variables are going to be different for every lineup. Yeah. This lineup, this lineup isn't high leverage, but it's highly projected at, at, it's not the highest lever, right? You're not playing like your cash lineup. But when people say, oh, I'm gonna fade the chalk stack and the chalk one off and the chalk pitcher," Like you don't have to do all three in one lineup, right? You don't have to. You can play a chalk one off in a contrarian stack. Okay, Does that projection, leverage, correlation levers, are they, do they end up getting to a point where your lineup is okay? Well, that lineup could be equal to a lineup that is completely correlated and leveraged completely different way. So yesterday, you could have played a Lynn Darvish lineup with the Seattle stack that had the same expected value as a chalk Milwaukee stack with uh, Di and Eliza Hernandez. And then from a mathematical perspective, they'd be the the same lineup. Mathematically, possibly. I mean, I'm just... Ballparking. it's like oh yeah well you played the highest projected stack that's also chalky but how did you gain leverage you're by changing the pitches and you look at the projection the projection is lower but the leverage is higher and the correlation is high because you're still playing like a five-man milwaukee with a three-man giant stack or something but that the ev of that lineup could be similar close to equal to a lineup that on DraftKings could be a 3-3-2 lineup with, you know, Darvish and Tyler Anderson, right? I mean, and, and a one-off Nelson Cruz or a one-off Yelich or something like that. If you ran out a simulation of the, the slate 10,000 times, you find that the ROI of both lineups are the same. Now they both can't win at the same time, obviously. But you could see that the expected value is similar so which lineup is better neither well one lineup is three three two and one lineup is five two one and one lineup is four so you can make four four go ahead make four four lineups of the pirate on Fanduel of the pirates and the orioles today you're gonna to be leaving three thousand on the table it's quite possible that lineup just is, is so poorly projected that yes it's you're right it's four four but your correlation of the 4-4 four, four is not and, and yeah, they'll be lower owned. But you're gonna have to make up the like 25 points in projection possible. I mean, who knows? But it's a 4-4, four, four, so that doesn't matter. I'd rather play a 4-2-2 two, two lineup with one of the bats and with bats from cores. And a chalk pitcher. No, but that's 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 too high-owned. Well, not if I'm playing My 4-2-2 has a two-man Rangers that are 1% owned. I play Joey Gallo and Adolis Garcia over. I play overpriced Garcia at 1% owned and Gallo at 1% owned on FanDuel as part of my 4-2-2. Well, there you go. You're done. Play the chalk Rockies and the chalk pitcher. And that would be... And that lineup could quite likely, most likely have a higher expected value, have a higher ROI than a 4-4 lineup with just two random teams. So you can't think in terms of what's the correct answer. On a 15-game slate, there were billions of combinations. Billions. Your goal is to have higher EV combinations than your opponents. That's it. On this specific on this specific slate, there could be tens of thousands of plus E V lineups. Tens of thousands, if not more. Hundreds of thousands of plus E V lineups. In comparison to your opponents. So you uh, you're gonna play 20 of them. So build plus E V lineups. One could be a four-four of two uh, whatever, whatever two teams. One could be a four-two-two. Two. One could be a four-three-one. One could be a three-three, whatever. One could be all one-offs. You have no correlation there. Now, when people build lineups, a lot of times they stick to certain constructions because it just makes it easier to build those lineups. I'm telling you from experience, it's hard on FanDuel to go and uh, it's hard on DraftKings. It's a little bit easier on Vandal because uh, max you could stack is four, but it's hard on f- DraftKings to go, I'm going to play some five threes, some five one ones. I'm going to pl- play some four threes. I'm going to play some four. It, it's hard to build like that. I'm going to build, you know, six different type of constructions. You go here, we go to DraftKings MLB. Like if you're building 150 lineups, it's, it's really tough to like i want i want all of these i want this i want that i want some three threes i mean and then put percentages and hope that it comes out the way it should it normally do- doesn't you're trying to do way too much at once if anything you build if anything you build the five mans at once you go i want 40 lineups like this and then you say i want 40 lineups like that and then you put them together or whatever very hard to do that all in one build so a lot of sharp players just look run a bunch of lineups through and see what combinations end up being There being more of like yeah i guess i get there's more there's more five i guess i can make a lot more five threes than i thought i could make so i'm going to make all five threes or i'm going to make all five x's we're going to make all four four threes it's easier it's just easier to build that way yes there are Potential lineups that are not in those, that are, I'm building 4-3-1s. Like on FanDuel, a lot of times, all 150 of my lineups are 4-3-1s. All, all of them. Not because I don't like 4-4s. I love 4-4s. Just hard to build them all at once. There are going to be 4-4 lineups that I could build. And yes, I could do like, oh, I could play 20% of that. And 80% of that. Sometimes I do do that. But I need to make sure that there are four, four combinations that I do want. But if I see a predominant, the predominant amount of combinations that I want are far three, I just say, screw it. Just give me all four, three. It makes it so much easier to build 150, to have put everything in and set exposures and everything for, for 150 lineups by doing only one construction type. Maybe it's four two, on a smaller slate. Maybe I'm like, I'm just going to do all four two. Not because I chose that beforehand. I ran lineups and saw what tends to come together more often. How many more lineups is that compared to others? What types of stacks, right? I'm going to play an expensive stack with a cheap stack. What ends up coming together more often? I see, oh, I see a lot of 5 3 Tigers because it needs a three man Tigers in order to give me the five man expensive stack. So I'm like, okay. So I'm going to play 5 3 lineups. I know I'm going to need some type of cheap team, Tigers, Pirates, Marlins, something like that. But if I don't want to play those teams, then I can't build those lineups. So you have to to decide that beforehand, but it's not, I'm not going off by like, what's the, what's the correct answer. There is no correct answer. Mathematically, the optimal lineup, meaning the lineup that is, uh, scores the most points possible on a slate is going to be like mostly one-offs. Now that optimal, you're not going to need that optimal lineup. You just have to beat the opponents in the the GPP. The optimal lineup in in the optimal, Mm -hmm. meaning the highest possible points that you could fit in for that salary. A lot of times an MLB is like 40, 50 points higher than the GPP winning score. Sometimes even more than that. The the, two, the the eighth hitter that hit two home runs in some random game that's 0.7% owned. And then the two home run guy that's 2.8% owned at some other position. I mean, how are you putting together those lineups? It's almost impossible to get to. If you want to smash your keyboard and try for the best, you can, but it's you don't need those lineups. You just need to beat your opponents. So it's more beneficial to increase your variance. Your goal is not to not to get the optimal highest possible score line just to beat however many opponents in your contest. It's easier to just increase your variance just linearly by stacking two teams, right? Those teams do well, most likely you'll get towards the top. Matt Mears asks, as I, as I have to scroll back, uh, scroll back. How do I determine if a contest is worth entering based on the payout structure? Well, it depends on what your risk tolerance is. I, I play professionally. I, 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 want, I want, I maximize more for stability than for, you know, the most EV, right? If, if, if DraftKings ran winner-take-all contests, the, the sharper players would still be the best and most profitable. Just everyone would go broke in the time being in between in between the times that you win. You need bankroll sizes that are enormous to survive that. And because I focus more towards not maximizing the most amount of money that I could possibly win, no matter what the risk is, my risk tolerance level is much lower. Doesn't mean I built, I'm talking about from, an, from a contest selection standpoint, not and a volume standpoint, not a building the lineup standpoint. Once I'm in the contest, I build plenty of crazy lineups. But I'd rather play contests that are flatter at the top between first and 10th place. Those top 10 spots, because the difference between 10th and first in a large field GPP is pretty, I can't, I can't control that. It's it's a double. That's a, you know, that subject to so much variance that the skill in coming in 10th and the skill in coming in first is no different. Just get your lineups towards in that zone. Just get it in that zone and just play off long enough and often enough that you get as many of them in that zone as possible. So obviously if I want to get them in the zone, I'd rather get paid more for that zone, rather than first place. So, like, like at uh, this payout structure here, for the bat flip is horrible. Look, you're looking to get in the zone, right? Top ten. Oh, top ten out of ninety, almost ten thousand entries, three hundred bucks. Like, dude, if I played one hundred and fifty lineups into this contest, that's twenty seven hundred dollars. Like, I would need to come in like. Obviously, you have multiple lineups in there, so you don't need just one line. You'd have to come in like fourth place just to break even on one lineup. Like, that's that's stupid. That's, that's ridiculous. 50,000, 15, 521. i I'd much rather see this be 20,000, 15, 10, 7,500, 5,000, 3,000, 2,000. 1,000. So these spots, these spots that are like fifth to 10th pay way more than they currently do here. Yeah. First places is is 25,000 or 20,000 and not 50,000. But if I get in this zone and then even like 15th place is not 200, it's more like 500. So I get rewarded more for getting lineups in this, you know, top 10, top 20 zone that I can do that often enough that I'm not constant, I'm not losing as much money, not binking along the way. Look on Fanduel this year. This year, I, I, I. I mean, look. The other day, I had a sixth and seventh place. Then the day before, I had second place. And before that, I had like seven other top ten finishes, but not in the top five. I had like eighth, tenth, ninth, sixth. And you look, and it's like I'm, I'm like barely treading water in GPPs. 10 plus top 10 finishes. One second. The, the, that second place got me. Now I'm now, I'm, now I'm profitable. Not much, but I'm over the line. So it shows you how much importance there is in aiming for first. But along the way in aiming for first, I wanted, I'd, if if the payout structure was flatter up top, I'd be, I'd, I, I wouldn't mind 10 top 10 finishes. I'd be I'd be pretty profitable. So that's what that's what I'm looking for. I don't need a hundred thousand a first and twenty thousand a second, and then by the time you get to tenth place, it's three hundred dollars like that. It's unsustainable. Like the, if you're not binking, you're losing money. I don't, that's why, why. do you think I don't play the millie maker usually in NFL? Very similar. So I care more about this. I don't care about the min cash. I don't do not care at all about the min cash line. I'd rather them get move the min cash line up if anything. Why are you paying out 20, 24% of the field? Pay 16, pay 15 or 16% of the field and then condense and make it be worth it. So it's not first place or nothing. Give all that money at the bottom and just add them to second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way through, whatever, 50th place. That would be much better. So that's what I look for. Do, 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 do. Michael Dompier asked about last night. Beginning of the day, I heard people touting playing canning and that Seattle was a poor stack. By lock, it seems like people moved to Seattle stacks. Was Seattle over-owned? No, they weren't over-owned. They were definitely not over on FanDuel. They were like 5% on FanDuel. They were a little bit higher-owned on DraftKings, I guess, than what than were projected. But I don't know. I was, pl- I was playing primarily on FanDuel. Do, 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 do. Let's see. Woo, J Train asks, "Late IQ, your primary driver in deciding which stats to target purely based on leverage? I'm wondering if I'm putting too much stock in leverage lately. Might just be a bad run." Remember, I'm going to go over it again. I'm going to go over it again. People are overcomplicating this. There are three levers of DFS projection correlation and leverage let's say you jam that leverage all, leverage lever all the way up that's just as bad as jamming the projection lever all the way up right playing your cash lineup in a large field gpp yes i'm going to play the utmost leverage lineup that has such a low probability of hitting that it's it's negative ev as it is yes Yes, if that, if that if if all your one percent on players get there, I guess, but they're one percent for a reason because they're poor. Their projection is low, right? Their their chance their chance of ceiling is low. So you can't just go by leverage. You need to go by the full lineup that you're playing. You don't need all the leverage, just like you don't need all the projection, just like you don't need all the correlation. You just need the balance of the three. right? Compared to the size of the contest that you're playing and the people that you're playing against. That's why if you're playing a 300-man contest, right? A small field GPP, should you, should you be playing a lineup that is like 20 points lower projected than everyone else's? No, you don't need that much leverage. You don't need that. It's unnecessary. You're putting yourself, you're putting yourself with negative EV against your opponents, well, you just you need you need a touch a touch of leverage. That's it, to be three hundred people. Now to be thirty thousand people, you need a lot more. Be three hundred thousand people, right? Now, now we're starting. To, and even then, even with three hundred thousand people, you don't have to play. You know, oh, I'm going to play two one percent on stacks and two one percent on pitchers. You still don't even need that. That's still over. That's still too much. Right? So you look at something like sled IQ, which is just for DK, which is just a simulation, remember. And it's a simulation based on the RG plate IQ projections and ownership projections. So remember, if the plate IQ projections are off and the ownership is off, like those numbers don't even mean anything anymore. Oh, we project this team's gonna be 15% owned and they end up being 8% owned. Well, then the whole thing is that all the numbers are gonna be different, right? So it's all, it's all privy on how accurate the information that's going into it is. And then when you look and you see the, the leverage percentage-wise, like, okay, a team is, has a 0.3% chance of being the top stack. And they're only going to be 0.1% owned. That's 200% difference. Wow, they would be right at the top of the list. The teams with the most leverage. They have a 0.3% chance. And they're only gonna be on 0.1%. Yeah, but they're still the lowest. at the point, it's only still 0.3% chance. It's still the lowest. They could be the 30th team on 30 slate. We go, we look at this slate. The lowest team chances of being in the winning lineup. The 30th best team. The 30th, the lowest have the most amount of leverage in comparison just from a of a proportional perspective that doesn't mean you play them right I mean I guess you can you can take a shot in the lineup if you want but maybe there's a maybe there's a team that has a three percent chance of being in the winning lineup that is only going to be on 2.7 percent well, the difference between 3 and 2.3.0 and 2.7 is not that drastic it's still positive positive leverage but it's not 200% leverage yeah but the chances of a th- of that team winning in the winning lineup versus the 0.3% owned team is 10 times more likely right 3% versus 0.3% so yeah not as much leverage but how much leverage do you need you don't need all that much. So playing the 3% owned team may be way better than playing the team that's literally the least likely to be in the winning lineup, even though they're going to be there. They have more of a chance than they'll be owned because that's the what you're trying to do. Play players, play teams, play lineups that have more of a probability of winning than what they'll be owned. But how many people are you playing against? That 0.3% owned team? That 0.3% chance team that only is going to be 0.1% owned. Maybe that five-man stack type of lineup is good for contests where there's about, I don't know, four and a half, five million entries. So if you're playing in that type of contest, are those the, No, there aren't contests with that many, that many entries in it. But if you're trying to be five million people, maybe, maybe then, maybe then, maybe then it's worth playing. Maybe then it's worth playing. We don't have contests of that size. You can find perfectly fine stacks and lineups to play that don't have five man of the worst of a 2.5 total team that have almost no shot at being the winning line. Yes, every once in a while that team will come in. Once every, God knows how many, if you simulated it out one every 10,000 slates. who knows? But it may be the best, best leverage from a proportional perspective right? 0.3 versus 0.1. Does that mean that you play them now? And there may be a team, let's say, that has a 15% chance of being in the winning lineup. That's going to be owned at uh, at 18%. Oh my God, that's negative. Oh, it's negative. Oh, I can't play that team. The chances of it being in the winning lineup are actually less than what they're going to be owned. You still could play that team. They have a 15% chance versus let's take a look at the 3% owned team. Right? The, three, the team that's 3% and only owned at 2.7% versus the team that's 15% chance to win and owned at 18%. Well, the team that team with the negative leverage, uh-oh, has a five time more like likely chance of being in the winning lineup. But they're gonna be owned a little bit, a little bit over owned. Yeah, but they're still the highest probability team. So it's perfectly fine to play that team because they're a high probability team. You just know that because they're going to be a little over-owned that the two pitchers and the other three batters in your lineup, get your leverage there, right? So get your leverage there. So now you're going to probably have to play a, 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 a contrarian SP2. Or you sh- you're not going to play the chalky Juan Soto one-off or whatever it is on the day in that lineup. Because you need to find leverage because you're playing the high probability thing, but the likelihood, but so, so are so many other people in the, in the contest. You're going to need something to differentiate yourself, to catapult yourself above all the people that are playing the stack of that team. Now, when you're playing the 3% probability team, that's only going to be owned at 2.7%. Well, you got your leverage. You already have your leverage there. So now in that lineup, you could play the two chalk pitchers. You could play the chalks, Juan Soto one-off in that lineup. And then you look at both of those lineups together. So you have the lineup with the 15% chance team and the 3% chance team, different lineups. The one with the the chalky stack, high probability stack, has a slightly different pitcher, has a different SP2, and not a chalky one-off. This lineup that has the le- that's 3, 3% probability team has the Chalky SP 2 and the Chalky 1-off. If we ran a simulation 10,000 times, 100,000 times on the EV of both lineups, it's possible they both are equal. Or conceptually, the type of lineup you may find that the expected value of both lineups are equal to each other. Then you say, well, which one should I play? Well, then it doesn't matter. So this is what I mean by looking at lineups independent of one another. So one person can play this lineup. You could play the contrarian stack, chalk pitchers, whatever, and you could play the other one that's that has the stack that's negative leverage. But no, you found the leverage in the rest of your lineup. And now you those levers, you move those levers, right? One lineup has levers this way. And the other lineup has different levers this way, but they all kind of balanced out equal to one another. Both lineups, it could turn out that both lineups have the same exact projection, right? Because what you're giving up at starting pitcher in one lineup, you're gaining with the hitter in another lineup, right? So they may end up with the same projection. And then you look, the ownership may be the same also because you're getting all the leverage in one lineup with your stack. And the other lineup, you're getting all of your leverage by not playing the SB two and the truck one-off. So, like the ownership may even be the same. So you look at that and you go, these two lineups have the same EV. So that's how you have to think of DFS. So you can't just look at oh, I'm just gonna look look at a piece of information. Oh, I'm gonna just sort by this column and just play that. <coughs> Whatever. I mean. There are thousands upon thousands of lineups that have marginal differences in, in expected value. Thousands, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands that you'd have to play, that the difference between these 5,000 lineups, you'd have to probably play out the slate 10 million times to see a difference. Of. So your goal is to play play lineups that have higher than your opponents. That's it. And then play as long as you can. So you could choose one person could choose that 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 example we had with the two different things. They could choose one could you you could choose one. Someone else could choose the other. And in in DFS, what you can what ends up happening with average players, they'll look at one person will look at the other person's lineup and go, "You're you're stupid for doing that." And the other person will look at the other guys lineup and say, "You're stupid for doing." Oh, I can't believe you played the chalk stack. You're a donkey. And the other guy will go, "I can't believe you played the chalk pitchers. You donkey." No, the lineups are equal to Are equal to each other. It's possible that they're so close in expected value to each other that they, they, what's the difference between them? You can play both of those lineups if you want. And then you could find another lineup with a stack from some other team and some other combination of stuff between projection, correlation, and leverage that is equal to those two lineups or close enough or marginally close, mar- close enough. And you can find a fourth lineup and a fifth lineup and a sixth lineup and an eighth lineup and a and a hundred and fiftieth lineup. And you're playing a hundred you're playing these 150 lineups that are eh, marginally about the same. There you go. Well which one should I play if I'm only playing three? Well just close your eyes and choose. I mean mathematically your goal is to make them as high as possible and as many of them as you can. There you go. Jacob Calloway says, Blender, I appreciate you really improving my DFS play. I, I've been three times so far this year. Oh, that's nice. Now, if you could stop teaching everyone else, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> but most people don't understand it. That's why I do this. Have you been, watch, been watching the show since January? The reboot of this show. So I did it a little bit last year, but then COVID hit and everything. I know everything goes wrong. I've been doing the show every every Monday through Friday, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock Eastern. Of course, it gets preempted sometimes by Grinders Live or whatever. You could listen. You could start from NBA in January. Uh, If you watch the show often enough, I'm saying it's like it's like I'm on a it's a broken record, saying the same thing most of the time. Go through YouTube chat. Feel free to wait for casual Friday. Keep on, uh, if you have anything last. I know I, I, I scroll back. So I'm like answering stuff from like 20 minutes ago. So I'm looking through. Michael Dampier makes a very good point. I've started playing the $1 mini max on DK so I could experiment with leverage. Completely agreed that while slight IQ is great it's impossible to predict ownership with that precision right so if you're going to go by the that leverage column that has shows the proportion difference between uh, uh chances of winning and owned that's like an that's like an average ownership If like if if some of those players are off like 2.7% could end up being 3.2% could end up being 2.5% and the difference of that 0. 0.3 in that proportion percentage could be dramatic that's why that to say if something's going to be 0.3% winning chance and 0.1% owned. Like that's a, that's a 200% proportion. Like that's a, that in and of itself doesn't mean anything. Right. You, you choose, you, you bump that down to 0.2 and now it's a hundred percent. You do it to 0.28 and now it's 20%. I mean, like you can't just sort by that column. Going through Robert Hunter Brinker, Hunter Brinker. Can you give some advice on adjusting percent uh, projected ownership based on the size and type of tournament? I primarily play the $3, three max tourneys and notice ownerships are typically pretty far off from the pwn in a lineup HQ. Yeah, the small, you have to understand that smaller field contests, the ownership will be more condensed. People are going to play more chalky, Okay. So if you're playing the single, any single entry of three max, what you should be doing is either mentally or physically. Now, the thing that you could do, obviously, if you have the skills is to just simulate that contest, right. And get the ownership, you know, basically generate the ownership yourself. Uh, but if you, if you can't do that, just mentally like bump up, like whatever the starting pitchers are, they're going to be chalkier. if it says, if, if, our projected ownership on RG is for the large field contests is for whatever the main GPP is on DraftKings or FanDuel. That's, that's what it's for. So if we, we, like yesterday, like we could even show, like, I'll even show you right here. Go a little long today. I don't care. Right. Make Devin work, not have a break between shows. No, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be done soon. Uh, So let let me go to results DB. You could see this. You could see this every day. You go to this, this ownership tab. Okay, so we're gonna go the bat flip. So that that's the main GPP, right? Then we go to the the the, like the one twenty one battery, right? Isn't isn't that the single entry? Let's go to the single entry. What is it? Forty K battery, is that what it is? Okay, forty K battery. Okay, this is single entry. Is there a three max that I could throw in? Does it say three max, three entry max? 35 K warning track. Is that good? Let's go by that. Okay. So we could see here. Let's take a look at the pictures. For instance, this is for yesterday. Let me put the bat flip at the back end. Okay. So we could see here that Lance Lynn and you Darvish were more owned in the three max and the single entry than they were in the bat flip. So 64, 57, this is like 70, 78, 76, 72, right? Tyler Anderson was much more less owned in single entry. Let's, let's get rid of the three max, make it easier to look at. So here's the ownership differences on the pitchers. Let's do all the batters. Okay, so look, the chalk is chalkier. Yelich was 33.7% owned in single entry, 21% owned in large field. Kettle Marte, Colton Wong, basically the Milwaukee and Arizona and even the Royals. Were, look, look how significantly more owned, look at the pitchers, significantly more owned in single entry. So if you're going by like, oh, 21%, don't know, he's going to be way higher. So the chalk gets chalkier, but that also means that the contrarian stuff is even more contrarian. Take a look down here. If you play like the Mariners, for instance, right? Because I liked the Mariners yesterday. Kyle Seeger. In the bat flip, in the large field GPP, he was 11% owned. Only 4.9 in the single entry. Take a look at Crawford. Crawford. Actually, he was a sharper play. So yeah, he was, he was a one-off in single entry. He was a cash play. Uh, let's look at uh, Ty France. Look, half is owned in single entry. Well, he has to be because all the higher projected plays, the Milwaukee guys, the Arizona guys, the Kansas City guys are even more owned. So if they're owned more owned, that ownership has to come out of somewhere. So that's what you should be thinking of when you when you when you look at the percent owned. If you're playing single entry stuff and three max stuff and smaller field stuff, you have to you have to bump up. You know, today the cores Oakland, right? And cores and, and Blake Snell and Scherzer, they're gonna be more owned in single entry. So you could oh Oakland, Oakland is only 18 gonna be. Oakland may be a 12% aggregate owned, average owned in large field. They may be 18 to 20% in single entry. And at that point, maybe you shouldn't be playing them at all at single entry. Then you look at a team that that is going to be 5% owned in large field. They may end up being 2% owned in single entry. Maybe take a shot on them. So that's all you have to do for, for ownership for the smaller field stuff. Understand the higher projected players and lineups are going, to be, are going to be more owned because people don't need as much leverage, right? So people tend to, no, I'm not going to play the top stack, but I'll play the third highest stack. So like all of them get high owned. Uh, let's see, anything else? Devin's answering questions in the chat. Do, 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 do. Eric Johnson says casual Friday pants optional. I don't have pants on. I got pajamas on. I got pajamas. I don't go anywhere. I can have some pajamas on. Pajamas, apple juice, right? I'm like a six-year-old, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeehaw. So uh, 15-game slate tonight. Big slate. Uh, We got MLB Grinders Live. I believe it's... uh, we can see here Who, who's on Dean and Grant. It's probably, probably Grant. Probably something like that. Uh, then we've got one o'clock Eastern, which is coming up in a little less than an hour here. Showdown strategy show for the today's uh, NBA showdown. One o'clock Eastern with chop. Andy means got grinders live for MLB at five thirty Eastern crunch time for premium members. Premium members, uh, 630 with uh, Roth and crew. Uh sign up for RG Premium, Roto Grinders Premium, get $10 off your first month by clicking on the link in the description. And as always, all the stuff that I talk about with the projection, the correlation, the leverage, all that type of stuff is in my course. The theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. This is this is how you play DFS. This is. It's the mathematics, the game theory of playing daily fantasy sport, no matter what the sport is. You wonder why the top players tend to be good in like every sport? Well, that's why, because it's 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 a game of math. So learn that math in a simple layman's format. 15 hours of structured content. You could you could probably get nearly everything that's in this course from this show if you start from the beginning and you watch hours upon hours of it. You could, you could if you if you wanted to. If you wanted an easy reference guide, an easy way to do it, nice little seminar, right? You got game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploit, psychology, all this type of stuff in 15 hours. And people listen to it multiple times. You play, you listen. You play, you listen. You play, you listen. That's how I learned how to play poker. I read tons of books, listened to a bunch of stuff, read forum posts. That's how I learned how to play DFS. Right, I learned playing DFS by just watching literally everything on Roto-Grinders. And When I say literally everything on Roto-Grinders, that's exactly what I mean. And reading everything. I, pro- I probably watched hundreds of hours of Roto-Grinders shows back in 2015, in sports that I didn't even play, just to understand DFS strategy better. So if you want to dive dive in, go to Theory of DFS dot com and pick it up people say yeah it's well worth it so uh so we'll we'll go over well, we won't go over the slate on monday whatever monday well fine james is back right we didn't have a show on monday we had grinders live so uh james wasn't on so uh we'll be back on monday for mondays with mccool talk more about dfs strategy answering your questions on youtube hit that hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door it's getting, it's getting pretty warm. I opened this like three hours ago. Maybe that was why. So hit the thumbs up button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Because I'm usually live, mostly live. Mondays through Fridays, 11 o'clock Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.